this podcast has been recorded on Gumbangia country and our team at the Valley Hub acknowledge the privilege it is to work on, with and beside traditional custodians who know our valley intricately and to share in their wisdom and care of country and particularly today, the birthing and parenting knowledge held by the matriarch. Welcome to another episode of the Valley Hub Stories podcast. I'm your host, Penny Coulter. Some quick housekeeping before we begin. In today's episode, there is discussion around birth trauma, perinatal mental health challenges, and also infant loss. These components are important to the story of my guest and her work today, but regardless, we acknowledge that these are lived experiences that unfortunately many other families will have also experienced. If you choose to listen, we hope that hearing our guest talk through this topic and means of support will be helpful. But if you'd rather give this episode a miss, we also understand. We'd also encourage you to reach out to Lifeline if you need further support on 131114 or talk to a trusted family member or friend. So with the theme of a light and shade, I welcome today's guest, Jessica Nash. Jessica is a Nambucca Valley-based doula now working in the postnatal space. Jess is passionate about empowering and caring for women in the postnatal period, from breastfeeding to home management, all the way through to managing visitor expectations. Jess titles herself the mother-in-law you actually like. Today, she brings her wisdom and experience, sharing the nitty-gritty of working in the pre and post birth space, talking through options, and most poignantly, what she would most like women to know. Join us now for the conversation. Thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Hi, thank you. So who are you? Tell me a little bit about who who Jess Nash is on a day-to-day basis. What a loaded question. (laughs) So primarily I'd call myself a mum, but although my children are almost grown now, so I'm on the other end of that parenting spectrum. But as most people know, I'm a doula, but people don't really know what the word doula means and that's sort of been an evolving role for me over the past 14 years that I've been doing that. So initially I was a birth doula, which is, you know, we come in, support you through pregnancy, support you in the labour, but then I switched my focus most recently to postpartum support where um, I come in after you've had the baby and help you around home with um, breastfeeding and baby care, baby massage and even practical stuff around the home like cooking meals, cleaning and just emotional debriefing uh, because as you know it's it's really hard in those early weeks after you've had a baby so Mm. yeah like I call myself like the mother-in-law that you actually like that's that's great (laughs) what prompted the move from birth doula to postpartum doula well I kind of got tired of feeling like I was leaving my clients high and dry yep so you know we'd, we'd build up this beautiful relationship through the pregnancy support them through the birth and then you know, we'd have one or two sessions after the baby was born and then I'd be moving on to the next client. And I just felt like, you know, that would happen maybe around the two-week mark and that's, you know, such a crucial time where baby's sort of coming out of that sleepy, beautiful newborn stage and you're starting to have problems with feeding perhaps or the baby won't sleep. And I was just like, okay, bye, good luck. So I thought this is when 
primarily when you need support more so than than the birth, mm-hmm. really. And really when that support from midwives, et cetera, drops off too. Yeah, so we're lucky here that the midwives will visit you for the six weeks, maybe once a week sort of thing, but then that support sort of drops off and you're mm. left to, to find your own your own way. And I, part one of my roles is helping you build a village of support around you, whether it's your family, friends or other mums, so that support continues as you continue your parenting. Mm. Mm. Yep. So the women that are engaging with you, tell me a little bit about the scope of, of you know, what's represented there. Are we talking a cross-section of ages of, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I've supported families from teen pregnancies all the way to older pregnancies. I hate the word geriatric, but that's what the, <laughs> the system calls it. Parents that are having their first baby, um, maybe their fifth even, and uh, also parents that have experienced a loss before mm. or parents who are going to experience a loss with the current baby. So the scope is so diverse. There's no one particular type of family that chooses doula support. It's just anyone. Can we talk some more about that grief support? Yeah. So I know that you had a fair bit to do with getting a cuddle cot for yeah. our local hospital. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about that journey? Yeah, so... Just briefly also explain what a cuddle cot is for those who aren't aware. So a cuddle cot is, it's essentially a cooling device that they use when a baby has passed away. And it's like a cold blanket. It's a refrigerated blanket. So it sits in the the bassinet or the crib and that enables the baby to stay in the room with the parents or even parents can take the cuddle cot home and have their baby in the crib at home. Instead of having to, you know, normally the baby would be in the morgue environment Mm. and maybe come and visit in the parents' room for a couple of hours and then have to go back. But this enables the families just to have a bit more time with their baby, you know, dressing their baby, singing to their baby, holding them, all that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, uh, One of the first births that I supported as a doula, the baby unfortunately passed away. And I sort of thought like it was, I won't go into the whole circumstance around it, but it was a really big thing. And I left that birth going, I need to just decompress myself so I can support this family, you know, in the coming days. And I sort of left thinking they're in good hands. The hospital knows how to take care of a family that loses a baby. And long story short, that wasn't really the case. They weren't offered too much support after So that prompted me to looking into support services available to families after a baby has passed away. And I just saw that we were pretty well lacking in a lot of areas. So I just, I'm the sort of person that if a job needs doing, no one else is doing it, I'll just do it. So Mm. yeah, I just sort of went, what can I do to help the experience that these families are having? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we fundraised and got actually three cuddle cots from that fundraising. So yeah, yeah Port Macquarie, Lismore and Coffs Harbour. It's so, amazing. Yeah. When you say that, you know, perhaps the support is limited in terms of that, that grief support mm-hmm. in the health system, are we talking it's limited in terms of the resources that are available or the services that are available or just in the sense of that personal connection and that, uh, that walking with? All three, all yeah. of the above. And so my my experience, I haven't lost a child myself, but my mother lost her baby when I was 10. And he was, he was born at eight months gestation and circumstances meant that I was at the hospital just after he'd passed away. And I got to spend time with my mum and my brother 
Um, I changed his nappy, dressed him. And it was just really beautiful to have that time with him, even though he was gone. It was just a really beautiful thing to experience. And I thought that, you know, that was 30 years ago. I thought, oh, we must have come along in leaps and bounds and we just haven't. It's still such a taboo topic that people don't really want to talk about. And we need to have these uncomfortable conversations if we're going to improve things. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's. That's sort of related to the cuddle cot as well because I was like, what do you mean families don't get to spend time with their baby after they've passed away? Like this just blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah, so I was really glad to be able to do that. But as you were saying, like I think it is, it's there. It's resources. They're not always available here. They're, you know, that you'll get more different resources available to you in the city, whereas regionally you're a little bit limited, which, you know, is always going to be the case. And sometimes there are staff that don't necessarily empathise as much as they could with families in that situation Mm. Um, or they're just time poor. You know, there's a lot of beautiful midwives who'd love to do so much more for families and they just don't have the time to do it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. On the topic of, of, you know, that that capacity to to empathise with the patient, Mm. I can't imagine the impact that that has on you to walk away from a birth having supported mm. someone through the loss of, of their child. How do you deal with that as a professional? How do you go about the rest of your day? You go a little bit crazy is what you do. <laughs> like, it's, it's really, really hard. So, But it's, it's very important to take care of yourself as well. So you obviously can't disengage from that because you've built such a relationship with this family. You're so invested in it. But you also have to do the things you need to do to take care of yourself. So for me, that was getting counselling and seeking some therapy with, you know, holistic providers and traditional providers as well. And that particular circumstance was particularly tricky. We weren't allowed to talk about it because there was some complications involving the hospital. So we were essentially gagged for two years. So that was Mm. very hard to deal with. Did affect me quite a lot mentally. Yeah. But, yeah, you get through it. You get through it. And and reminding yourself, like, I feel terrible. How does this family feel? Yeah. Yeah. So you think you just got to, you know, buckle up and get on with it. Is there a sort of network of support for doulas? Yeah, that we have the Doula Network of Australia, um, which is like a paid membership thing. So you can debrief and and talk with uh, other doulas and, you know, doulas that have been doing this for much longer than I have uh, who act as mentors. So that that is there, but not everyone has, you know, the same experiences that you have or back when I attended this particularly traumatic birth, no one else in the group had experienced anything like that. So I can now fill that role for others. But, mm. yeah, it was a little isolating at the time. So... You've obviously had this experience in your childhood of, of losing your brother mm-hmm. and walking through that with your family. Mm-hmm. Would you say that that has kind of shaped, you know, your career trajectory into becoming a doula or was it having your own kids? You know, what, what was that process that made you go, I think I want to do that, you know? Yeah, well, I can see that it's influenced the way that I support families, but I didn't make that connection that, oh, okay, this is, you know, why, um, until I'd experienced the birth where the, um, the baby had passed. But ultimately getting into doula career was the birth of my own my own children. So I have my eldest who's nearly 22. That was a pretty awful experience with birthing him. 
And then I went on to have another another boy who's almost 17 and I had studied like hypnobirthing and I just wanted to do everything completely different to the first time around. And his birth was so much better. And then my sister-in-law said, oh, can you support me while I have, when she was having baby number three? Um, she goes, this would be a really good job for you. And then she Googled it and found it was a job and then yeah. we went from there. So, <laughs> so I've got her to thank for it really. So, yeah. yeah, that's kind of what got me started into it. I just wanted to help women see that they have options and to take, it's, this word is so overused, but to take back their power, mm. you know, instead of going in and having labour happen to you and having the birth of your child happen to you, you are the active participant and you're calling the shots. And I wanted to remind women that, things will go so much better when that's, you know, you're feeling in control of the situation as much as you can be. Yeah, but it just, and even if you have an outcome that's not so great, you feel so much better about it because you made the decisions and you felt like you were being listened to and respected. Mm. Mm. I guess a large part of what you do now is helping women process that birthing experience Mm. in the postpartum period. But I want to talk also about, you know, some of the ways in which women can prepare so that they can have an empowering experience and, you know, what your advice is around that leading up to to, to giving birth and putting things in place. Yeah, I think it's, it's get educated, but to a point. I mean, there's so, much, there's so much information out there that it can become so overwhelming, which is why I like the role that I've sort of stepped into now is helping women just wade through that sea of information and bringing it back to them, okay, what feels right to you? And that's going to give you your best chance at having a really beautiful birth is if you've gone through all the options and you know what you're comfortable with, you know about each option that may be presented to you. And then if things come up in the labour and things are offered to you, you've already discussed it, you already know what the processes are and you can make the decision that feels best to you. So, yeah, get educated, read. There's so much information online Mm. now as well. But it's important to help, had to have someone to help you wade through that information and process it and come up with what feels right to you. So do you find then when you were working in the birthing space, uh, was was part of your role also supporting the partner or oh, the, definitely. Husband, the, the, yeah, the father definitely. to, or the partner to, to support the woman Absolutely. and to advocate? Yeah. Absolutely. Because there's some really amazing dads out there who just get it, you know, even if they've not had children before, they just know how to be the support that their partner needs. But there's the majority of the dads are like, I don't know what to do here, you know, and I don't want to do the wrong thing or say the wrong thing. So I always looked at it as if um, coming from a place of first and foremost, my support was to the birthing woman and then it was the birthing family. So mum mm. and dad or her support person or her partner or whatever that may be, supporting them as a dynamic. And then I'm sort of, you know, stepped back from that sort of thing. And are doulas embraced in the birthing space from the health system? Usually, yes. Yeah, there have been, you know, a few cases where um, some doulas have not been welcome because there was kind of a misunderstanding about the roles that a doula may actually have in the birthing room. There's also been situations where doulas have been, or they've acted outside their scope and maybe been a little bit too aggressive. And so that has sort of tainted the, the reputation for them in some places, but in general, most of the midwives are really, really welcoming of, of you having that support person in your space because our midwives generally are really beautiful, amazing people mm. and they just don't get the time to do the stuff that we do with the emotional support and and that. So they're really happy to have someone come in and fill that space that they 
would if they had the time and they weren't dealing with, you know, four or five other births at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I'd really like to talk about the postpartum period, but it feels like the chronological, you know, making sense of to talk also about options for women as they're birthing now. Mm -hmm. So... Obviously, most people would know that the process has changed with the new hospital implementation mm-hmm. and midwife group practice process at our local hospital. Yeah. And this is sort of comparative to uh, the experience you might have at Coffs Harbour. So can you kind of briefly run me through what that looks like now for women who are about to give birth? So we're really lucky to have our midwifery group practice at Maxville and at Coffs now, um, but focusing on the families in the Nambucca Valley it's really, I, f- I think that it's a really beautiful thing that we have this because you will know your midwife. And I know, you know, because we all live here and everyone knows everyone anyway, you probably knew your midwife, but you've got a team of three midwives that are your midwives essentially, two primary ones, and they attend all your appointments and, and do your antenatal care. And then uh, two of those three midwives are going to be the ones supporting you in labour and they'll go with you to coughs if you need to birth at coughs or you transfer to coughs. So it's just really good to have that known person that you've built a relationship with to come with you and we're finding that the outcomes are so much better. So Mm. women are having much better, much better experiences just simply by knowing the person and having that relationship with the midwife that's that's with them. And we do have MGP at coughs but obviously not everyone is going to be able to fit into that that system because there are risk factors that will risk you out of being eligible for the program and coughs being the bigger hospital is more likely to have the women that have risked out mm. of, of MGP. But they'll still be in good hands. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you have had a baby. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> You've got your like, yeah. What now? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You've got your um your nipple pads in the freezer and yeah. your <laughs> Padsicles, yeah. Padsicles. <laughs> you've got, um, you know, this baby that you've brought home and you're like, I don't really know what to do with this now. That's it. What are some of the, the larger kind of, we can all say, you know, feeding is hard. It's tricky in the beginning. So we're sleeping. We all want to cry a little bit on day three. It's just all of those things are kind of the natural process, right? Yeah. But as you're getting down the track, what are some of the kind of the things that it's really important for you to be picking up in women who are, you know, in that perinatal period and uh, maybe struggling a little bit. And what, what are the kind of processes that you, as a postpartum doula, can implement to help them? Yeah, so I, I kind of have a special interest in feeding issues, which I find a lot of women struggle with because, you know, breastfeeding, it is hard. It's a learned skill and we've all grown up not seeing it as much as we would have maybe 100 years ago. So I have a special interest in that. So I sort of you know, will primarily help the families with any feeding issues that they have, but also, you know, postnatal depression, you know, and I I speak to the families about that, but it's more me just keeping check and, you know, checking in with mum and making sure she's doing okay mentally and emotionally. And you, you find that you can, you can't prevent it, but sometimes you sort of can like, you know, just having that listening ear, having someone who's sitting there with you going, yeah, this is really... Can I swear? (laughs) Yeah, going, you know, this is really shit and I'm sorry that this is happening to you and it's okay, you're having a really horrible time of things. Just having someone sit there and acknowledge that with you and help you through it can sometimes be enough to sort of tip the scales back and not, you know, let them fall over into that Mm. that despair and that depression. And if you um, are noticing things are 
perhaps not going so well for them, I can recommend them to different healthcare providers that might look at some hormonal support or some nutritional support that can help them through that. And obviously that's not going to help every single circumstance, but we do have some good resources that, again, understaffed, underfunded, things mm. like Gidget Foundation and and that sort of thing to um, to help. But I'm just sort of there to keep an eye on things and just sort of see when things might need a little bit more external support yeah, and help you wade through that information and figure out what is going to be the best next step for you. And being mindful that this isn't necessarily medical advice and it's mm. certainly not a one-fits-all, one-size-fits-all yeah. approach, but what are some of the, the sort of indicators that you will notice that kind of put your hackles up in terms of... You know, that possibility of perinatal, of postnatal depression or anxiety because it pre- presents so differently in everybody, yeah. doesn't it? So, Yeah. So there's, there's lots of things we can look out for. Like you said, you know, every, nearly everyone feels upset and emotional and, and whatever, like day three, that sort of thing. But if that continues on or if mum's feeling very negative and having negative conversations with me all the time I sort of you know pick my interest a bit more than you know if it's just a jokey sort of thing and you know we just know to keep checking in with her and and make sure that things aren't too negative like the the positive good conversations need to outweigh the negative stuff so if she's talking like this is really really awful and then she doesn't come back from that you know yeah yeah, if she's if she doesn't then go you know she's not able to joke about it or have a laugh or, you know, not able to listen to some of the suggestions that you might give her, um, then I'd sort of be a bit more concerned and just work a bit more intensively with her and perhaps refer her on to some other support services. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's hard to sort of know because, you know, the, this might be her personality anyway. So yeah. that's why it's really important to build that relationship with her and you just notice when things are different to how yep. how she normally is. What is the process of, you know, building that relationship? So how many times are you meeting? When do you start meeting? What, what does that look like? Yeah, so it's different for every family, but I like to meet with the families towards the end of the pregnancy. So we may have conversations earlier on in the pregnancy. We'll meet for a coffee and make sure that we get along with one another and um, that we feel we're going to be able to work well together because you need to trust your doula, your postpartum doula, implicitly. Like she's in your home, she's going to be helping you while you're feeling really vulnerable and, you know, you're going to have bits out everywhere. So, you know, she's going to be getting quite up up close and personal with you. So it's important that the families feel comfortable with me. So we'll have that initial meeting, have a coffee, and then we'll just, you know, usually just check in online. Maybe it's text message, phone calls, that sort of thing. Maybe some coffee catch-ups if time permits, but it doesn't always because a lot of the families, the mum's still working, you know, up until towards the end of the pregnancy. But then I like to come into the home before you've had baby and I want you to show me around where everything is. So when I'm working in the home, I don't have to come in and bug you and wake you up like, you know, where do the towels go and, you know, that sort of stuff. I want to come in and get to know how your household runs and how you like that to work and then I can just do my thing while you're just recovering or sleeping or having a shower or whatever. So, yeah. Have you found that that kind of puts you in a space where you're having to advocate for the mother around, you know, negotiating those family dynamics of family coming and visiting or, you know, ex- yeah. expectations. Yeah, Tell definitely, me about that. definitely. And I'm okay with being a bitch. So <laughs> just, I'm like, just put it on me because, you know, it's, it's so uncomfortable. It can be really uncomfortable to say to family members, you know, I'm not ready for visitors or I'm feeling 
really touched out today or really overwhelmed or, you know, you might be having a down day or whatever or, you you know, you're leaking from every orifice and you're just yeah. aching and not really in the mood for people. And I am very good at negotiating, you know, and, and being professional about, okay, you know, this is not really the best time to visit or how about you do this instead. And, and part of the work I do is also helping you come up with a support plan so that you can give that out to your family members and be like, hey, this would be really, really helpful if you could do this, this, this for me. If you could bring meals, we do meal trains as well, so that meals are coming on certain days that you've picked and you put in all your dietary requirements and not ending up with, you know, 10 lasagnas in the freezer. So, yeah, we try and get, I work with the families during the pregnancy to try and work out a plan that's comfortable for them with how their family can support them. And sometimes that's not needed. I mean, sometimes they have really amazing families that just come in and help and they're not at all offended if you tell them, you know, okay, give the baby back or that sort of thing. But, yeah, if that happens, I'm more than happy to be the one that's the gatekeeper of the baby, <laughs> you know, like give it back. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, or just leave the space. And, it, you know, you can always do it respectfully. You don't, I know I said, you know, I'm happy to be the bitch, but... Um, you don't usually have to be, you know, you just politely request that of people. <laughs> All right, that's a really good tool to have. I feel like there's an app in that. Probably, yeah. <laughs> so what is the, you sort of your number one piece of advice that you could give? I want to kind of go from the, you know, inner circle outward in, mm-hmm. in this in terms of support for um, for women in the postpartum period. So starting, of course, with the partner, what is the number one tip you could give partners to support their um the mother through that period first things first don't take anything personally (laughs) that's great advice um and just just be there you know just offer just just bring her drinks and food and you know just take the other child out for you know whatever for an hour or half an hour or whatever just give her space and just listen to her and as I said don't take it personally you know if she's having a big vent at you it's not really usually because she's really angry at you she's just overwhelmed yeah Yeah. and don't be afraid to call in other support you know whether it's professional support like myself or family or friends so that's really important too is not being afraid to ask for help and don't see it as asking for help like it's so necessary I often remind mums particularly if they've got children already I say to them what would you be saying to your daughter you know if she was in this in this situation you wouldn't be telling her to buck up and get on with life you'd be there helping her you'd be telling her to reach out and ask for help and it's so important that we do that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I think we've done ourselves a huge disservice, you know, becoming nuclear families and we feel like we have to just be the separate little unit where most of the work falls on the, the mum yeah, or the stay-at-home parent. And we've done ourselves such a disservice by removing our extended families, you know, and, and grandparents are still working and all that stuff. They don't have the time to come in and spend with you that they would have, you know, 100 years ago. I'm wondering with the cross-section of ages that you see also, you know, a father's playing a more active role in that sort of up-and-coming generation of helping in that that sort of immediate postpartum period, do you feel? I think so. And I don't think it's changed a great deal in my career, in the you know span of my career, because, you know, we were still of that generation where the changes had started to happen, where the dads were, they're in the birthing room, they're being part of the birth process, whether they really are comfortable to or not. And there was that change happening where they're willing to change nappies and help with the baby and all that sort of stuff. Whereas, you know, if we compare it to our generation, our dads were mostly not doing that. So Mm -hmm. 
yeah, it's it's definitely improving. And let's talk about support from immediate family and extended, you know, family and friends. What what is what's your advice there? That's tricky because it it, it really does vary from family to family because you know we're not all in a position where, as I said, the grandparents are usually still working because we're having children, not necessarily younger, but we're having children at an age where our own parents are still having to work Mm. and we may not have that support. Um, And we're all in an age where we pretty well have to have a double income family. So your neighbour may not be at home and able to pop over and, you know, come help you at the drop of a hat sort of thing. So this is what I'm talking about, the nuclear families, like we've just mess things up big time we need to sort of build our own community and that will look different for everybody Uh, it might be your immediate family it might be an elderly neighbor or you know someone else in the community that you've built some sort of a relationship with but we have to call in those people that are able to be there for us either practically maybe they can drop off meals or they can come around if you need some extra support um, or even just people to vent to Um, that aren't going to judge you or tell you, well, back in my day or, you know, well, I did this, I did that. You just need people that will just listen to you and validate your experience. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And what about the broader community? So what can we as a community do to support mums in that period? That's a question, isn't it? (laughs) That's, yeah, that's that's really quite tricky because we need to make more time to be able to be available to these families. But just... You know, if if there's one piece of advice, it's just leave your your own experience at the door. You know, if a, if a mum is a new mum's coming to you and she's complaining about something or she needs some advice on something, it's okay to say, "Well, I did this and 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 that worked," but also know that she may not be wanting to hear that. She may just need her own thoughts validated, and come at it from a place of not, "Well, you should do this and you should do that." come at it from a place of, well, what feels right to you and keep that any judgment that you have at the door. That's great advice. Mm. <laughs> We've talked a lot, uh, you know, about some of the lows that, you know, some people unfortunately have to experience mm-hmm. during pregnancy and loss, of course, and we've talked a little bit about the highs too. Mm. What would be <laughs> your number one piece of advice to mums who have just found out they're pregnant or, you know, perhaps they're getting closer to that point where they're starting to make decisions about their care and about what that looks like for them afterwards. What is your coverall tip? Yeah. <laughs> I guess just remembering that you're the expert. I mean, no one knows your situation, your body, your baby better than you. And that carries right through from pregnancy all the way through the parenting journey. We have to stop sort of second-guessing ourselves and and thinking that other people know better because this child hasn't existed before, this experience hasn't happened before, every situation is completely unique and you have to remind yourself that you are the expert. Mm. And, I mean, we get so hung up, we can get so hung up on worrying about how we're going to damage our kids and sweat it less. Like Mm. it's, yeah, just enjoy as much as you can. I think too we we also haven't been that mother in that situation before either because yeah. each child changes us. Don't they? Each yeah. experience changes yeah. us and each you, day. You have your first and, you know, you right. I've got a handle on this now and then the second one comes along and they're a complete firecracker. Yep. You're like, where the hell did that come from? What now? And I'm sure, you know, you can probably speak to that, that yep. it changes again, third baby and yep. so on, yeah. So, yep. Yeah, there's no right way to do it. What, what's, what's the saying? You know, like there's no 
uh, right way to be the perfect mum, but there's a million ways to be a good one. Mm. Like that. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Yeah, so just do what you got to do. And my one piece of advice to new mums generally is just love them through it. I mean, you can't spoil your baby. You can't even really spoil your kids. You just just love them and just be present for them, but also show yourself that same that same love and that same honouring as well. It feels like really good advice for the support system too. Just yeah. love them through it. Just, yeah, it is. Just ignore is. the crying. Just it ignore is. the... <laughs> it is. It is. And it's, it's, that's why it's important to take care of yourself because it's really, really hard to do that when you're running on an empty cup yourself. Yep. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Mm. Well, that feels like a really nice note to finish on. I think so. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sharing Thanks, a little bit about your experience. And um, so if people want to get in contact with you, how's, what is the best way to do that? Um, so probably on my social media, which is Jessica Nash Doula on both Facebook and Instagram. Otherwise, the website, which is jessicanash.com.au. Yep. And sometimes people can also catch you at local events. Oh, yeah, I'm always everywhere. Um, we're planning the next, uh, the Birth Baby and Beyond Expo at Coffs for next year. We're planning that now. So I'll be there. And I'm also in November doing a workshop with Alyssa from Thrive Health about breastfeeding, tongue tie, all that sort of stuff. So yeah, you'll find more information on my socials about those. Fantastic. Yeah. Mm, thank and you. Thanks, Fanny. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of the Valley Hub Stories podcast. To connect with us, you can DM our socials or email us at info at thevalleyhub.com.au. We love stories and we want yours. Reach out to us to hear yours here next time.